Turn in your copies of the Scripture to Isaiah 53, that great passage from the prophet Isaiah prophesying of our Lord's uh, crucifixion. Uh, our text today will be four verses, or excuse me, three verses from Isaiah 53 and then a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Again from Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the very words of God. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider the long-suffering of our Savior and And as we follow in his footsteps in that very attribute, we pray that you would give us understanding this day as to how to honor you in our long suffering. We thank you that you preserve us through trials and tribulations. And even as we learned from Luke's gospel this morning, once again, that you protect even those who endured the Roman armies that surrounded Jerusalem to subdue it in 70 A.D., that You kept Your people alive, that You redeemed them even from that destruction. So Father, today as we come before Your Word, we pray that You would teach us what it means to be faithful in long-suffering. And we ask this in the name of Christ and for His sake. Amen. Brethren, for many months I've been contemplating a sermon on long-suffering. And as we approach Easter and give thought to the passion and humiliation of our Lord leading up to His resurrection, I thought it appropriate that now would be a good time to preach that sermon. To preach about long-suffering. Let me tell you how I came to, to want to do this. As I minister among you, and you share your many burdens with me for, to pray for you and to uh, give guidance where I can and to counsel where I can, I, I've come to the conclusion that one thing that's not unique to any one individual or any one family, but is certainly a corporate uh, need in our congregation is to understand long-suffering. You are going through many trials and tribulations, almost to a family as I look around the congregation. And I want to encourage you because the the Bible talks a lot about long-suffering and and, uh, each of you have different needs. But I also, one of today's hopes as I talk to you about this, this topic is that you will learn to appreciate more the needs of the people around you and how you can reach out to them and help them as they endure uh, sufferings of various sorts. Uh, Long-suffering is a many-faceted attribute. 
Much like a precious stone that is cut and ground into many sides or facets, those facets then reflecting light, uh, often uh, giving off bright lights, uh, long-suffering is like that. Now, light and long-suffering don't seem to go together, but there are times in the course of your long-suffering when it is so acute that it can be seen on your faces and in your lives that it's not something that you can hide under a bushel and it bursts out on your face and in your emotions. So, uh, in, in some respects, long-suffering is like that, that many-faceted jewel that's been honed to, to refract light. And depending upon which angle you look at it determines your perspective. And so, I want to give us some examples of areas of our lives where we go through long-suffering and to speak about them though in general at first, but then more specifically later as our Lord's example uh, in His uh, Passion Week for us. Often long-suffering can be unfulfilled desires. This begins as early as infancy. Uh, we, our, our children go through long-suffering. It's not very, the, the long portion is not the emphasis. The suffering is really the emphasis here. We don't really understand their needs. They basically have two needs. They have to be fed and they have to be cleaned up. And we we sometimes perceive when that happens and sometimes we can get on a regular schedule uh, to deal with that. But more often than not, we don't perceive the needs until they communicate with us. And they're at a distinct disadvantage because they can't communicate. So the way they do it is by crying. And so then then we have to go through the steps of discovery, right? Uh, typically, the first step is to check the diaper. And when we realize that's not the problem, then the next step is probably the stomach. So we, de- we meet those needs. But even in our infancy, we have a, a sense of long-suffering. We, that child has to wait until those needs are perceived and understood and then met. We get to being a toddler, or, or actually later in, in our young lives, Still children, but later. And then th- those needs shift from physical needs to unfulfilled desires in life. Uh, a young man wants to be, become a baseball player or a fireman or uh, you know, a, a fighter pilot or some, some uh, occupation. And he starts researching what it takes to become that. In his mind, he wants to become that thing next week. And he then comes to the realization this is years away. Years of preparation and producing skills and those kinds of things. Does he have the perseverance to do that? Will he endure? Will he long suffer through those unfulfilled years of of desire? Is he willing to to be long-suffering in that regard? And then still later when... Uh, we become young adults. We desire things that God has created around us that that we want to enjoy. Uh, married life, for instance. And young people seek a spouse but have an unfulfilled desire there. And they, the spouse is hard to find sometimes or maybe non-existent at least for some period of time. And, and they have to, they have to uh, suffer through this longing for the spouse and trust God for the increase to make that provision. All of these things are, are typical of, of long-suffering. 
So unfulfilled desires are that way. Even in adulthood, after, after marriage, after family, uh, often men seem, uh, feel unfulfilled in the, in the vocations that they have. And they, they, they can't seem to fill the void there. There's a void there that seems to be unfulfilled. And so they suffer through uh, that. Or maybe they desire a different vocation and it's beyond their reach. And so they suffer through the, the longing for that. All of these things happen, as, and they're common to man. There are other kinds of, of long-suffering that we go through. Unemployment, for instance. We've got a couple of men in a congregation who are still looking for adequate work for their families. And that long-suffering of not having that employment and yet having the demand to meet the needs of the family is very acute. How is it going to be met? Yeah, at what point uh, do I take just menial work uh, to, to make uh, provisions for my family? Those questions then come to mind. Long-suffering happens as a result of a loss of loved ones. Just this past week, uh, we've learned of the passing, passing of the young fellow Nasco. We're going to pray for his family today. Uh, but here is, the, uh, is a void that's been created in the family. They will suffer for a long time with that void. You, some of you have suffered with those same kinds of losses. Uh, uh, and, and the void is there. And how is it fulfilled? How is, that, how is, that, how is meaningfulness brought into that void uh, from, from our Lord? Still others. Let me just go through a, more quickly a, a, a series of, of circumstances where long-suffering occurs. Illnesses. Injuries that last long periods of time. Cancers of various sorts. I think of Hank Maisel, who for now since the late 90s, was it? He's been battling prostate cancer. And he's had ups and downs throughout the whole time. Others of you here have close relatives or family members, maybe immediate family members who have acute physical problems that weigh on you and you have to suffer through these things with them. Uh, and it's, it, it uh, drains you emotionally, physically. What about prodigal children? Many of you have, are dealing with that and have dealt with that where you have a child, or maybe it's not a child, maybe it's a, a sibling, or maybe it's a parent that are prodigals, who have turned their backs on the faith and left their first love. And how do you deal with that? And how do you, how do you restore them? The Bible talks about confronting them uh, so that restoration can be had. And yet, in the midst of it, you're dealing with this, this long-suffering and then, of course, there are acts of our own doing. Our own sinful acts produce circumstances of long-suffering. Uh, and that, it can be manifested in many ways. It could be uh, manifested in, in uh, pride. It can be manifested in, in uh, adulteries. It can be manifested in uh, uh, theft or any number of the Ten Commandments. And yet, it causes suffering in our own families. Remember a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon where I said that, uh, that sin is not isolated. It's not an individual thing. It affects people. It goes beyond our own lives and it touches other people. First, those who are immediately in our families and then reaches out into 
uh, our workplaces or, or the covenant community. So sin can do that in our own lives. What about sinful acts that are perpetrated on us unjustly? Those cause great long-suffering. And some of you have endured that and are enduring that, where others have done things to you unjustly, but it's hurt you and it's hurt your family. And then finally, long-suffering can occur by the very will of God, where God says, this long-suffering must take place for my glory and the good of my people. Let me give you an example of that. This, these examples are, are known to you, but let me just remind you. In, in Genesis chapter 15, God is promising Abraham uh, a, a, a kingdom of people that he is going to raise up through the seed of Abraham. That's earlier in in Genesis 15. But later in the chapter, we read these words, beginning in verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, this is God speaking to him, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. After the, afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as far as you, you shall go to, be, uh, go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. He's speaking specifically now to Abram. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God put his people, his own special people, in bondage for 400 years while the iniquity of the Amorites might be fulfilled. Now that seems to be an injustice, doesn't it? But what God does, he does well. All things he does well. Even if it means 400 years of long suffering for his people. 400 years. And when they left, Israel, or when they left Egypt, did they not leave with the wealth of that nation? Didn't the Egyptians basically pay them to get out of town? Gave them all their wealth and they left. They went to the edge of the promised land and their faith subsided. And another 40 years would pass before they would go into the promised land. Nevertheless, God did His holy work in the midst of that long suffering. Consider also Job. I don't have time to go to the passages and in James, James talks about God bringing trials into our lives that He might build our character, that He might strengthen us for days ahead. We think we're in the midst of the hardest days. That may not be the case. That long-suffering may need to take place because the days ahead may be even a greater need for stronger character. James speaks of that. Job, of all things, did he... Did he go to Satan and say, "Did you, by the way, I'm God's servant. Why don't you attack me? Let's go at it, me and you, mano a mano." No, God said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" God said that to Satan. Job didn't even know this was happening. God says, "Have you considered my servant Job?" Satan retorts, "Well, of course not. You built a hedge around him. I can't touch him." God says, I'll let you touch him, but you cannot take his life. 
And of course, Satan turns his attention on Job, thinking, this is my opportunity to put a patriarch of the Old Covenant under my own feet and show God that these people can't stand my wrath. And Job turned it on him. What was Job's response to that great trial that would take his children, take his possessions, take his health, and, and have his wife accuse him of, of, of sinning against God and his friends as well? He lost virtually everything except his own life. And what does Job say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the epitome of long-suffering. That's the epitome of long-suffering from a sinful man's perspective. Now let's think about Christ's perspective on long-suffering. I chose these passages as our text because for several reasons, but the most salient reason, the most important reason is the fact that Christ suffered long for us long before we even understood His suffering. Long before we even understood His suffering. When, when was your salvation determined? Was it the day that you made a profession of faith? No. Before the foundations of the earth, in eternity past, your salvation and how it would come to be was determined in the decree of God. When was Christ's death determined? When your salvation was determined. When your salvation was determined. Somebody had to die for you as a substitute. The substitutionary atonement of Christ was determined when your salvation was determined. So in eternity past, Jesus Christ was contemplating His own death for you. That's long-suffering. In eternity past, Christ said, I will long-suffer for all the people that God has given me. All the children that God gives me. And I won't lose one of them. No one's going to pluck them out of my Father's hand because my redemption for them will be complete. Eternally complete. And so Christ, hear hear this passage which is our text. Surely He has borne our griefs. When did He begin to bear those griefs? When our salvation was declared. And He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken. Smitten by whom? By God Himself. And afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That promise came in eternity past. And Jesus endured it. The day He was born... As a man, he knew he would die as a man. Now, he was an infant. Likely, we don't understand his cognitive abilities when he was an infant. Did he, did he have some sense of those things? We can ask him that when we get to heaven. Right now, we don't have that revelation. We can't make that determination. 
But know this, when he did get to that point, assuming that it was delayed some time, when he did have that cognitive understanding, he knew that every day that he lived was a day closer to his own death for eternity. And he had done nothing wrong. There were no sin. There was no guile found in him, the Scriptures say. He, he hadn't done anything wrong. He was going to bear our sins. And he knew that. And he steadfastly pointed his face toward that, at that event. The Bible says over and over, Jesus, particularly in John's Gospel, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father. He planted his sight on that and he moved in that direction with all deliberateness. Contrast that to the days in which we live. Okay? We live in a day, days of instant gratification, right? Uh, you walk into the kitchen, you pick up the little packet, you tear it open, you drop it into the cup, a little hot water in there. Voila! Hot cocoa. Or, you throw something akin to food into the microwave and heat it up, and now you have a TV dinner. Or, you get on your phone, you punch a few buttons, and pretty soon there's an Uber car sitting out in front of your house to take you to the store or something. We live in a time of instant gratification. We have very little concept of what it means to be long Suffering. Long suffering. I spoke earlier about some of the circumstances in which we, we practice or, or are engaged in long suffering, one of which is our own sin. Do we suffer long with our own sins and trying to fight against them? Do we endure that, that struggle? within ourselves. Paul talks about that in the book of the Romans. I do what I shouldn't do. And I don't do what I ought to do. When you go through that passage, you almost get lost in the I did and I don't and I should and I won't. And I, It's kind of hard to wade through it. But when you do that exercise, you understand that part of long-suffering is dealing with your own self and your own sin and fighting against the temptations that come into your lives. Most of which start in your own heart, by the way. James tells us that. I believe it's chapter 2. Long-suffering has to begin with one's own person, but then it, 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 should, it should reach out to those around you, to your family members. Uh, do you become impatient, parents, with your children? Sure you do. How many times have you told them? How many times do you say, how many times have I told you? Those are the very words that come out of your mouth, right? It's that kind of... Impatience. Well, there's a reason for that. They, they should remember. Long-suffering is bringing to remembrance the things they should remember. In the Old Covenant, God says over and over, you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten the One who's given you the promised land. You've forgotten the One who's delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. You've forgotten the, ones, the, the promises that I've made to you. You've forgotten. So long-suffering means reminding. It means taking hold of those promises and saying them again and again. Why do you think we recite the Ten Commandments every week here? It's not because they're melodious, although when we sing them, it's a little better, right? It's because we forget. 
And we need to be reminded. Long-suffering. Doing it again. God says to His people, I will protect you. I will make provisions for you both in salvation and through the sanctification process, which is what long-suffering is about. But you have to put your trust in Me. You have to trust what I'm doing. Paul talks about long-suffering and the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is the, these are the, the fruits of the believer, the one who's put their trust in Christ, who lives as becomes the followers of Christ. Three of these fruits of the Spirit speak almost directly toward long-suffering. The very first one, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, check, that's different than long-suffering, isn't it? Not according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, one of our texts today, love suffers long and is kind. Love suffers long and is kind. The word long-suffering appears there as well. What about the words self-control? Doesn't that speak to long-suffering as well? Diligence, perseverance, endurance. God gives us these things in great measure. Not just in in, uh, Galatians 5. But in 1 Corinthians 13, when we do that passage that speaks about love over and over again, just three verses from that passage, verses 4 through 6. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Is that not long-suffering? Aren't those the the attributes of the person who acts out long-suffering? Again, in Isaiah 53, Surely He has borne our griefs. He has suffered long with us and carried our sorrows. He has borne them along, carried them with Him, and did that from eternity past when the Father declared how salvation would come to men. The Apostle Peter speaks about this as well. In chapter 3 of his second epistle, we read beginning in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, Look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Verse 15, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. What He has accomplished has brought about our salvation in long-suffering. Now, does, not, does the Scriptures teach us that we are to be conformed to the image of our Savior? 
Indeed it does. We are to be conformed to that very image. His long-suffering was salvation for man. What about our long-suffering in our families? What kind of fruit will it produce if we practice it? What kind of fruit will be produced in our own lives as we battle against sin and temptation, long-suffering through those things, never giving up, having the courage to stand up the next day and do it again, to fight those things? What will that produce? Christ's long-suffering produced salvation. Won't, won't our conformity to His, his long-suffering produce something? I think it would produce at least something positive. And so we need to embrace that. And then there's Paul's comments in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. By the way, they long suffered, didn't they? Previous chapter, Hebrews 11. A description of all those who gave their lives for the Gospel. Who suffered unto death like our Savior did. Then in chapter 12, uh, Paul talks to the remainder, those of us who remain. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, endurance, long-suffering, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brethren, we are joint heirs with Christ. What He's purchased redounds to our benefit that one day we will sit at His side, which is next to the throne of the living God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul says, follow Him in endurance. Follow Him to the end. Just as from eternity past, it was planned that He would sacrifice Himself for us. We live what? Three score and ten years, the Bible says, approximately? Seventy years? Can't we just give seventy years for our Lord for eternal life? In comparison, what is that? It's a vapor, right? Isn't that what James called life's but a vapor? It's here a moment and vanishes. Yet, we can use that life for the honor of God in long-suffering. I am often grieved for you folks when you have to endure things I'll get a phone call. Pastor Hickey, I need help. Okay? I'll be there. Jump in the car. Get to the doorstep. The door opens. Tears rolling down the face. What, what, it, what can I do for you? And it's a problem. There is no earthly way I can fix. No earthly way. But I know the one who can. And so I turn the focus on that. I'm here to help, but my help is the proclamation of the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ.
You need help. I acknowledge that. I can't bring you help like you need it. But I know the one who can. And that's what I try to do for you folks in those circumstances. Occasionally, and I do mean occasionally, I can give you some wisdom that actually might get you the next step at least. More often than not though, I'm just bringing your attention to the promises of God. Because your emotions are such that you can't see it or you've forgotten it or something else is in your way. And I'm trying to refocus you on what God says. Brethren, your Lord is the epitome of long-suffering. And as Peter says, His long-suffering is salvation. Go to the One who understands your circumstance. Cast your cares on Him, the Bible says, for He cares for you. And He will lift you up. Let us pray together.